ones finding new ways to ensure the job always gets done. For the ones wearing many hats. For the ones who are hands-on, even from far away. And the ones keeping business moving forward. We are Granger, Offering supplies and solutions for every industry. With 24-7 support and experienced staff at over 250 local branches. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. For the ones finding new ways to ensure the job always gets done. For the ones wearing many hats. For the ones who are hands-on, even from far away. And the ones keeping business moving forward. We are Granger, Offering supplies and solutions for every industry. With 24-7 support and experienced staff at over 250 local branches. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hi, this is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles, and I want to welcome you to another episode of Stories of the Supernatural. Wherever you find us, whether it's a video on YouTube or on your favorite podcast platform, please like and subscribe to us so that you can get notification of when a new show is released. You can also find us on major social media platforms where I give you a heads up about upcoming shows and which date and time they will be aired. If you go to MiamiGhostChronicles.com, you can find links to the shows, MP3 files which you can download, or links to your favorite platform like iTunes, Spreaker, SoundCloud, and all other major sources. You can find information for upcoming and past talk show appearances as well as new book projects at MarlenePardo.com. You can also purchase books and merchandise there. And you can visit my author page on Amazon at Marlene Pardo Pelliser. Due to popular demand, I'm narrating my true believer stories that I've collected throughout the years in a new series called Supernatural Storytime. You can find links at SupernaturalStoryTime.com. If you are into classic horror, ghosts, and adventure stories, I narrate some of those at Nightshade Diary. And you can find links at NightshadeDiary.com. If you would like to read noteworthy news about the paranormal world, true crime, conspiracy stories, and anything that is just plain weird, you can visit the Stranger Than Fiction Stories tab at MiamiGhostChronicles.com. I do want to thank you all for being part of my audience, and I think you are all wonderful. Hi everybody, this is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles Stories of the Supernatural. How's everybody doing today? Good. Everything here is on the up and up. On the on the on my micro farm, uh, and as you know, I give you guys an update on the weather in South Florida because this is one of the few places in the United States that actually has subtropical weather, and again, you know, lots of rain, which is good, a lots of hard work. I'm telling you, today I was working out. I was trying to beat the the afternoon thunderstorms that you know that we get a lot here in South Florida. And I was out in my shed. I was I was putting stuff away, and I kid, and I'm not a sweaty person, by the way. My eyelids were sweating. I was I was like, okay, I'm blinded. I can't see. It was that humid and that hot. My point being that for those wannabe homesteaders out there, okay, even though you might be living in a different climate, maybe a little bit cooler, it's hard work. Okay, it's really nice and interesting, but it's hard work. So you know, yeah, I'm telling. So, yeah, it's coming along, but, um, yeah, it's, it's good. And it's, 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 like I said, it's giving me a whole different appreciation for farmers. And like I said, I, 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 I think I'm becoming a, 
a, a wimpy homesteader because <laughs> I've got less than three acres and it sometimes feels like, uh, you know, it's like, ah, I couldn't handle more of this. <laughs> but anyway, guys, let's get to the really interesting stuff. Let me tell you about who the guest is that I have today. And I think you guys are going to be as fascinated with the subject as I am. Okay. And the reason being because you know that many times I've spoken about what I consider, um, you know, that I've always said, you know, I, if you're going to give me history, because I love history, I'm not a historian, but I love history. And I've always insisted or would say I would like history to be accurate and truthful. Okay. Accurate and truthful. Like what, you know, like the movie, the good, the bad and the ugly. Let's, let's have the whole thing. And today we're going to look at an aspect of where maybe history was tweaked. Well, no, let, let, I, I take that back. It was more than tweaked. Let me tell you, today we have a lady by the name of Catherine Chiljohn. Okay, she has written a book. Well, well, she's an expert on this subject, but she's written a book called Shakespeare Suppressed. And this is a book about what and i'm sure out there everybody i can't imagine anybody that has not heard about shakespeare but even shakespeare is not immune to 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 have history changed around who he was and what he did now let me tell you about catherine she's an independent scholar who she studied shakespeare authorship for over 30 years uh, she has debated the topic with English professors at the Smithsonian Institution, at the Mechanics Institute Library in San Francisco. Uh, she's written several articles for Shakespeare Oxford Newsletter and served as its editor for two years. She's also currently in the Research Grant Committee for the Shakespeare Oxford Fellowship. Now, she's also given talks on the Shakespeare authorship question uh, in numerous public libraries, clubs, universities, and bookstores throughout California. And she's a frequent guest on radio shows and podcasts and yeah like i said you're going to be surprised i'm going to i want to bring Catherine on in just a minute but you're going to be surprised how much intrigue you would think that there would be around shakespeare and his works but how are you doing today Catherine? i'm doing great wonderful to be on your show thank you so much it's been my pleasure i i'm super excited because and, and, and my audience knows that I've I've spoken uh, you know about different subjects having to do with where history is kind of like uh, you know well sometimes it's either acts of omission or out and out like totally rewritten and then of course as time goes by and years and generations go by it becomes the accepted version and nobody is the wiser and seeing what I'm finding out now when I started looking at, because I had heard previously about this, but I really didn't have a good understanding of what was involved with uh, Shakespeare and his works. And I'm before we get into it, and I'm going to ask you because we're going to get into this. Could you explain uh, a little bit as far as how you got involved with this or I mean, was this something you stumbled on? What? How did you decide this is so interesting that I got to pursue it for thirty years? Yes, uh, it, it is an interesting story. Um, I first was exposed to it watching a debate on television, okay. and it was between um, 
Charlton Ogburn, who wrote a book called The Mysterious William Shakespeare. This is in 1984. And it was a wonderful book. Anyway, he was debating a Shakespeare scholar, saying that it was really the Earl of Oxford using the pen name William Shakespeare who wrote the plays and not the person born in Stratford-upon-Avon. We, we call him the Stratford Man. Okay. That they were two different people, one using a pen name, one with a name that's similar to the, to the pen name, who was born that way, born with that name. So um, I'm watching this debate, and I knew nothing about it. Okay. And all I knew is, is that Charlton Ogburn, he kept making point after point, logic, logical, uh, historical fact after another. And okay. then you think you look at the Shakespeare professor from a very high, you know, I believe it was Yale or Princeton, a very okay. big school. Okay. Um, and he, all he could do was say to Charlton Ogburn, you're nuts, you're crazy. This is, uh, you know, this is a nice uh, detective story, but, you know, it's not reality. He couldn't back up his own man with the facts. Right. So I saw a great, you know, disconnect here. And so I read Charlton Ogburn's book. Okay. And ever since that moment, I've, I've wanted to tell everyone about it because the injustice of it. And that, that, we, that the great author, author of Romeo and Juliet and Hamlet, is, was a victim of a hoax. And we, the, his loving public, are also victims. Exactly. exactly. Yes. Yes. And, and I'm glad you point that out, that it goes beyond just the one person that wrote it being cheated out of recognition. Yes. It, it, it's, um, it's a, we are being divorced from the true historical personality of the person who wrote these works, which would so much enrich our reading of the plays by having actually a bi biography to, to look into. Whereas if you look at the biography of the Stratford man, it's empty. I, I mean, what do we know about him? All right, he owned a couple of theater shares and he was listed as a member of an acting company, two acting companies. Okay, mm -hmm. that's fine. but. Where did he get his education? Right. It's blank. Let you know, me ask you something, and that people don't understand that being literate and that degree of literate expertise, that was not common either. No, it wasn't. And we had, like, for uh, other playwrights of the period, like uh, Christopher Marlowe mm -hmm. and Ben Johnson, we have records of their going to school. We know about it. But the man from Stratford, which was a small town, you know, outside of England. Mm -hmm. um, there's no record. Of course, those particular records don't survive. But, um, you know, no one claimed to be his, his teacher or anything. We don't have any letters in his handwriting with Stratford wow. Man. Yeah. Um, there's, if you look at his will, there's no mention of the play manuscripts that were never printed. Well, you know. Right. At Something that had a lot of value, you would think about Something it. Something had great value. There were 20 plays still unpublished at that point. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, and you look at his uh, his children, they're illiterate. <laughs> How is that possible? Yes, you would think of all <laughs> and, the people. His children were very well educated. It's not surprising because his parents were illiterate, too. Right. His mother and father. So he was... The Stratford man was raised, born and raised in an illiterate household. And exactly. it, it, it kind of just doesn't make sense at that point when you're talking about the highest educated person of the period.
Now, one of the things that we were talking about, and I'm, and I'm going to ask you, why would this have happened? In other words, why would, why wouldn't the true author be able to claim these works as his own? Well, that's a good question. Um, it has to do with a social code during this period. Um, it, it, the Earl of Oxford, who is my ah, candidate, there we go, uh, yes. he was a nobleman. And he had one of the oldest, he was a member of one of the oldest families in England. It okay. went back, at that point, it went back 500 years, the, the Earls of Oxford. So, uh, you, I mean, that was gold back then. So, yes. uh, reputation was very, very, very primary back then. I think even today in England still is a little Yeah, bit. of course, yes. Yes, and so... Um, back then, participating in the theater, writing, creative writing, poetry, that was something to be like a dilettante in. That's yes. something you just dabble in if you were somebody of that high station. It's not something that's, that takes up all of your time. Right. You know, someone of that stat status should be helping the queen, Queen Elizabeth I, right. back then helping her as a general or as a, an advisor or, you know, doing something for the government. Especially with that family name. Exactly, exactly. So during his lifetime, it was kind of a social norm. Keep this quiet. He probably told his other writer friends, you know, don't, don't talk about it publicly, you know. However, after his death, it would have been okay to, to print the works and his, put his full name and title on them. It would have been all right. That is our problem. That is our greatest problem to figure out why that happened. He should have gotten the credit. Would there have been, like you said, once once he died, would could it be possible that his family was like, we don't want our father or grandfather to be associated? Because we were talking about this that even back then, the, the one thing was like you said when they did a presentation in the court for the queen, that was different. But actually, like the theater world, outside of that, that was like for the common people. It wasn't looked on as, like you said, something appropriate for a nobleman or an aristocrat to like spend all his time in. Could it be possible that after his death, uh, the Earl of Oxford, the family, the children, grandchildren, whoever they were, were like, we don't want him associated even after death with that. We are like, or was it the lie so big that it was okay? Who cares? All right, that guy did it. He was the one that wrote it. Um, I, I think that that was part of it, that they, you know, it was somewhat of a blot on the family name. However, um, it was, it turns out, uh, um, a, a family member who helped publish the plays. And uh, wow. 36 Shakespeare plays were published in 1623. We call that uh, the first folio. It's a large book. And the opening page has that picture that we all know, that black and white engraving. And okay. the book was dedicated to the earls, there were brothers, the earls of Pembroke and the earl of Montgomery. And the earl of Montgomery actually married the earl of Oxford's daughter. Okay. So it, it does appear to have been a family affair. So on one hand, they wanted to preserve the plays because obviously they thought they were important because this was a very, this, this book has like, 900 pages wow. on big, large pages. It was a huge production. Okay. So they obviously they paid for it because I don't think a regular publisher would have had the right. means or the access. Um, but 
uh, I think there was another reason, too, that the plays, as we initially spoke, um, were produced for the queen, Queen Elizabeth, and her courtiers. And there was some political satire in some of these plays. And so uh, I think that some of that they wanted to cover up. Um, like, for example, um, the queen, Queen Elizabeth's top minister, mm -hmm. Lord Burley is his name, the, the right. Cecil family, uh, the Earl of Oxford married his daughter. And then they had some children. One of the children um, married the uh, Earl of Montgomery. And so anyway, in, in Hamlet, there's a similar character to Lord Burley, and many historians have pointed this out, that this is a, a lampooning yeah. of, of uh, Lord Burley, the most powerful man in England. So they may have wanted to put the authorship on somebody else, so yeah. the plays are decontextualized. The pe people, the, the future generations would not see a caricature of this man. And people so. don't realize also that even though Queen Elizabeth had been in power, I mean, she was queen for many, many years. She, I mean, that's, she always had a lot of controversy surrounding her from the moment that she was almost not queen. And then during the time of her reign when she didn't marry and didn't produce an heir. So there was always a lot of intrigue swirling around, I imagine, her court as to who eventually was going to sit on the throne of England once she passed yes. away. Yes, and I think that Shakespeare's sonnets, mm -hmm. and I think really that's the major reason, um, Shakespeare wrote 154 sonnets, and in some of them it appears he's addressing Queen Elizabeth. And mm -hmm. if you read between the lines, he's also revealing that he had a child with her. Right, that was I was you made me to my yeah. Do you really think that that uh, and of course, like everything else, they, they you know it's like you're only going to understand it, but that he did have obviously a romance that produced a child with her. I think so, and um, that child would be uh, the fair youth. Today we call him the fair youth. It's the the beautiful young man or boy that the the great author totally you know celebrates inside in his sonnets and says how much he loves him in my opinion it's a a father addressing a son and a okay. son that he believes may become a king um and there's a there's he uses royal imagery here and there um but i and i think that when these sonnets were published which was after the earl of oxford died but also very soon after King James I succeeded the Queen, Queen Elizabeth, mm -hmm. I think that it, it, they got published a little too early after the succession occurred. Oh. And it may, people may have thought, oh, if you know, the world knows that the Earl of Oxford was Shakespeare, they're going to say, well, who is this child right. that yeah. praising us? somebody like a prince you know and so it would have raised questions so i think that that was also another angle so right. yeah then you would think that, that because you know there was always that fear who was going to have a more legitimate claim to the throne yes even though he would have been illegitimate it would what would have been a child produced by queen elizabeth herself and a nobleman even though he was illegitimate a lot of people 
would have, I, I feel, been very threatened by the fact that that was a very, very good claim to the throne. Yes. And, well, look what they did to Mary, Queen of Scots. Oh, yeah. I mean, she had a claim to the throne, too. Yes. And um, she had fled her own country from mm -hmm. a little revolution there. And uh, they found a way to execute her so she yes. would not be a threat. And she was a queen. So, and she was a queen. So it was a very dangerous uh, time. Very dangerous right. times. Exactly. People, and I think when people think of it, that they think of Shakespeare from their English class, they don't realize what the times were when these works were being uh, composed and acted out. And I mean, that there was a lot of, you know, for the people and what was going on in the daily lives of the people and throughout those years, it just wasn't some guy sitting at a desk penning these uh, works and presenting them at a playhouse. That there was, it was a lot of other stuff that went with it as to eventually, of course, what you were saying is why would they disguise who the true author was? Right. Why do you, uh, why do you think that they hung it on, like you said, the Stratford man of all the people that they could have chosen, why do you think they, they chose him? Because, well, first of all, the name William Shakespeare was a pen name uh, okay. About half the time the name was printed back then, it had a hyphen between shake and spear, okay. which was uh, an indication of a made-up name, spear shaking. Okay. And Earl of Oxford may have used that name because he was a champion spear shaker. He was okay. a jouster, and he won two tournaments okay. before Queen Elizabeth. So among his other talents, he was a great athlete in that right. And so anyway, um, it just so happens that in Stratford-on-Avon was a man who was born William Shakespeare. Actually, it, oh, wasn't, okay. it wasn't pronounced like Shakespeare. It was pronounced Shaxper. Okay. S -H -A, this is the way it was spelled. S-H-A-X-P-E-R, Shaxper, S-H-A-C-K. S P E R. It was spelled many different ways, okay. but almost all of them um, emphasized the short A, Shacks. Right. It's not, it was rarely, rarely spelled like we know it, the authors. Right, exactly. I think he would know how to spell his own name, right? Right, the way they're pronouncing that vowel. And then I, I see what you're saying that, yeah. Uh huh, exactly. So it was like a play on words, and but we'll, we'll, make, it, we'll make it a name. Well, it, he was born with that name, right. So, I mean, the Stratford man. So he also happened to be involved in the theater. So people knew about this guy, not as an author, but as, as probably somebody who was a you know, money lender who loaned right. to the company money. Because it's on record that he was a money lender for other people. But so he probably was a money lender for the theater companies. And I think that's how he became a member, um, was fronting money. Because the first record we have of him was um, he was receiving a payment of money along with two other actors uh, for a performance um, before yeah. Queen Elizabeth. And if you're going to uh, have a production before the Queen, it had to be pretty lavish. Oh, I imagine. Right? Yes. Pretty expensive, nice, nice costumes, etc. Mm -hmm. You know they have to they had to pay up front exactly. uh, for the production, right? So they were paid by the queen after the production, but who fronted the money before? Right. So exactly. I think that's where it was. So they they knew of this William Shaxper was involved in the theater, and it was 
you know, it, after both of their deaths, the two, they, they brought them together to decontextualize the plays, to make the Stratford man who had absolutely no connections to courtiers of the queen, he could not satirize them like Shakespeare was doing. Let me ask as, you, and, and, and you yeah. know, we talked about that movie Anonymous, which, you know, I know that Hollywood does their own thing, but do you think there was any truth to that after the works became popular, that Shakespeare, uh, as then the man, the Stratford man, didn't want to let go of the identity? Was he making money from these uh, works? Um, I think he may have. I think he may have made money. If there, if if you look at some of the plays of Ben Jonson, Ben Jonson knew him for sure mm -hmm. because he satirized him actually in right. one of his plays, "Every Man Out of His Humor," um, and it. If you read it between the lines, it appears the Stratford man was serving a, as a front for publishers, uh, not for the great author, but for publishers. Okay. Like they, the publishers would have people sit in the audience when the plays were being performed and and write them out, steal the words, right? Yes. Um, and pirate the plays. And I think that they put, you know, the name William Shakespeare on there, and they, they said to the Stratford man, just say these are by you if anyone questions us. Right. I think there was something like that going on. But uh, during his lifetime, no, the Stratford man was not known as a writer. No. Not, not, none of his family said so. None of his neighbors said so. Which you would no, think that that would be very conspicuous that they would have like said we're you know and the the great you know yeah they would have totally have declared to you know to everybody Annie had an earache on a Saturday of all days so her mom brought her to Minute Clinic at CVS where you can see a provider fill a prescription and grab essentials like pain relief products all in one visit even on evenings and weekends you can even see us online with telehealth options for quality, affordable care on your schedule, visit Minute Clinic at CVS. That's healthier made easier. Services vary by location. See MinuteClinic.com for details. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network. Verizon. Best and most reliable based on root metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined. Not specific to 5G networks. That who he was, the family, and the connection. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, everybody would have known. It was a smaller town, you know. So uh... and let me, because people also, I know that that printing. And, and basically these, I imagine these works were played out because it, you couldn't, it's not like now that you read the book, in other words, because a lot of people were not even literate. So I imagine that was the draw for these playhouses as far as getting these works. It was, it was the play, playing the work versus I'm going to print a thousand books in because there was, I imagine, uh, a public out there that was literate enough at all, maybe to buy the book and sit there and read it initially so do you think that they were really meant to i guess my point is do you think they originally they were really meant to be literary masterpieces or were they more aimed at being entertainment 
I think originally they were aimed at being entertainment, entertainment for Queen Elizabeth and her courtiers. Right. Uh, but I and I think that when he wrote the place for her originally, they were shorter. And I okay. think that as, over the years, he um, updated them, updated them, and okay. made made them longer. And even Hamlet is, I believe, the longest play, um, like five hours. If you if they okay. did every single scene, I think he was adding to that at the very end of his life in a literary sense. Right. Uh, so in other uh, words, he he wanted to improve on the. He got into the, into what he was producing. In other words, maybe something that maybe originally, like you said, was done for entertaining the queen. I mean, let's face it, the queen is the queen. But then uh, at what point did the popularity of these works take off, Catherine, that, uh, that it started getting attention? Was it always the same? Or once it went beyond the court presentation at court? Uh, when, when did they become popular? I guess for lack of a they better word. They became popular um, when they started to be printed, and that, and that was okay. in the, fifth, the 1590s. Okay. And the Earl Bird was in his 40s. But that's an interesting point because actually those very early play editions that were printed mm -hmm. are not complete. They're, really? In my opinion, they are mostly pirated editions because the, the great author did not want the works printed in his lifetime. That takes us oh. back to the social code. Yes. You know, you don't. You don't you don't print or you you don't make money on off of plays during your lifetime. Right after your death, it would have been okay. Yes. So yes, but um, yeah, I'm 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 an aristocrat. I don't need to make money off of this. This is yeah. oh, that's so exactly. People don't realize that back then, being part of the nobility, basically money or money making or anything like that, or being involved in even merchants as being a merchant, that was looked frowned upon. Like you're. You don't need to do that. You're a gentleman or a you know a nobleman. You don't right. You even don't. even though he really need, did need the money. Well, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is what you understand a lot of times that some of these noblemen were strapped for money. You know. Yes. Whether because it's they bad. they were not that good with money or because their maybe their fathers had kind of like you know spent their fortune, but they were like not really allowed to make money for life. Yes. Well, it's an interesting fact that the Earl of Oxford received a thousand pounds per year grant wow. by the Queen, and he didn't. And it, they didn't list the reason why. And she was normally very, you know, stingy with, yeah. you know, giving grants out. Right. But I mean, back then that was close to a million dollars. That's was quite a bit of money. I was going to so, say a thousand. Even you know, yeah, you could. I'm sure that that was. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You add a few zeros there. Yes. Um, and so it. I think she was partially repaying him for all the entertainments that he had been giving to her, performing for her. You know, and and also at that time when he received the grant, they were facing a terrible threat from Spain. Mm -hmm. You know, the Spanish Armada, right. and um, that he could have been um, writing or enhancing. The Shakespeare plays at that time to increase the nationalism, yes. for so that people would be willing to fight and defend their country. And the perfect play for that is Henry V, okay. which really you know lauds England highly and shows soldiers wanting to you know right. beat the enemy and praising England. So uh, we a lot of us Oxfordians believe that that's when Henry V was written. But of course, if you ask a 
a conventional uh, Shakespeare scholar, they're going to say, oh, no, it was written, you know, many years later. So that's another aspect of trying to get the true author correct, okay. because the timing is totally wrong. Yes, on these the timing, exactly. Yes, yes. I mean, you, you ask a Shakespeare professor, okay, what, what was the first play that Shakespeare wrote? And they can't tell you. They can't tell you the last play he wrote. You know, they, they don't have any accurate chronology. It's all guesswork. And the guesswork is all based on the wrong model, the Stratford man, his right. lifetime. Let me ask you something. And, and, and a yeah. lot of the works were, were placed in foreign places either. You know, it wasn't everything wasn't based in England. And it oh, makes yeah. you wonder, was was the Stratford man did he ever go to these places? I mean, you would think, would, any, would they, do they ever question that? Well, they, there's been several scholars who, are, who say that Shakespeare had excellent knowledge of France and Italy, of, okay. you know, places that you would not normally know about. Okay. And, and he also had knowledge of French and Italian language, too. So where did he acquire that, those languages? They didn't teach that in the Stratford Grammar School. Back right. In other words, there was no Google back then, where it's like, how about I, I look this up? Right. Yeah. For him to write the way he did as far as the settings and, and um, I guess, the mannerisms and yes, the, the, the dialogue. Culture. Yes. Yes. Especially Venice. He was very knowledgeable, minute little customs and things of Venice. Right. So where did where did he, he get that? There's no record that the Stratford man ever left England. Um, you oh. know, to leave back then you needed permission. Okay. Uh, but we know that the Earl of Oxford took a grand tour of Europe and he loved Italy. He spent the most amount of time in Italy. So, right. I mean, everything fits with the Earl of Oxford. And know? I imagine also the mannerisms. I mean, because people don't realize that you when if you were going to court you had to know how to behave in a, for lack of a better word and it wasn't common knowledge unless you were expected to go to court as in being nobility so it's, i imagine that also had to like work in there somehow like how did how did you become so knowledgeable about uh court manners if you weren't noble yes, exactly and that's another thing most of the plays are about kings and queens and nobility mm -hmm. Uh, they're they're the protagonists, right? But the lesser characters are usually the comic relief characters. Yes. Uh, that are you know lesser like lo I want to lower classed individuals. Right. Right. <laughs> they were kind of you know the lampooned a little bit you know. Right. So again, this is the point of view of an aristocrat. Exactly. Mm -hmm. People and, and people have to realize that they. You know, we can, we can't see these works with our modern day sensibilities versus with the reality of what was of what life was like during the times that these works were written, which was there was a lot of class distinction, a lot. Oh, um, yeah. And it wasn't seen as bad or good. You understand bad or good or anything. It was just that's the way it was. Um, yes. And in, 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 let's say in the case of the Earl of Oxford, it worked against him because if he would have been more of a commoner, he wouldn't have had a problem writing right. these works. Maybe he wouldn't have had the knowledge or the education, but um, yeah, it, 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 it was like a two-edged sword when, uh, yeah, you couldn't cross that, those rules that were set out for whatever place you were born into, the hierarchy of the social whatever it was at that time it was 
It was very strict. It, it, it was. It was. And, um, I mean, it's really, in a way, miraculous that he kept writing these works. I mean, he was obviously obsessed with writing right. and, um, and wanting to improve the English language. Um, he invented over 2,000 words. I don't think no, ah, people are no. aware of that. And so many artistic works subsequent to him were influenced by him. I mean, there's over 200 operas that are based on Shakespeare plays or characters. Yes, I mean, there's, he was such a giant. He didn't have no writer's block, I'll tell you that much. (laughs) And and the thing is, his works were recognized in his own day. And yet, whenever he died, the great author, I mean, the Earl of Oxford died in 1604, the Stratford man in 1616. Whenever he died, no one said a word about it. No one. And that's totally unique. Let me ask you, were, after, after, after Oxford died in 1604, did were any more works produced? Yes, that's a very good point. Um, right after his death, Hamlet was performed. Um, it was printed. It was printed, and it had the king's coat of arms on it, like as if it were a royal production. Okay, wow. It's uh, very interesting. And also, after, um, uh, in 1605, um, at Christmas time, they they produced um, about six or seven Shakespeare plays at the court of King James. So that was kind of a tribute to him. Okay. And yet there's no sign that Shakespeare was present. Shakespeare the man was present. To me, it was a tribute to a, a great man. You would think that, wow. yeah, it would be, you know how they, when they give these, you know when they, the, they give lifetime recognitions to actors, for example, I'm going to use, let's say, like the Academy Awards, yes. and they bring yes. him on, and he's like the, 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 you know, the person that's being celebrated. You would have thought that they would have dragged this guy over to court, you know, hey, you know, you're... And that, yeah, that's very unusual that they're going to celebrate the works, but not the man, because right. I guess they all knew and he was six feet under. We don't have any encounters between Queen Elizabeth I or King James and Shakespeare. Why not? Why not? We, have, we have correspondence. We have anecdotes with her talking with other writers or meeting them. Why not the greatest one of the period? And have there, have there ever been any works that are suspected of being penned, let's say in this case, we're going to say Oxford as Shakespeare, but that have never been officially recognized as such, but because of the style they think they are? Um, y- yes. Uh, well, that's, uh, we were talking about Shakespeare revising plays over mm-hmm. the years. Yes. Like, for example, the, the Taming of the Shrew. Right. There was an earlier play. Okay. called The Taming of a Shrew, right? Okay. And they have the same characters and same plot, but the language is a little different. There's a little, there, there's some differences there. Well, but the, you ask the scholars, they'll say that that, that that earlier Shrew play was written by somebody else and that Shakespeare stole it, in other words, and improved it with Taming of the Shrew. You oh, see what? Oh, I see what you're saying. And, and that's just one example. There's about uh, five or six other ones just like that. This uh, nearly like King Lear. There's 
King L-E-A-R. Mm -hmm. And then there's this earlier play by some unknown man, King L-E-I-R. <laughs> okay, so exactly, it's like... So they, you know, the styles are maybe slightly different, right? But but everything else is the same. The plots, the you know, the the, the characters. Some of the, some of the endings are different. Right. But uh, and somebody yeah. very close to me wrote a book about all these plays, and he calls them Shakespeare's apprenticeship. And he just published this book. His name is Ramon Jimenez. Okay. So. Yeah, so yes, there are several more plays. So it's not just about 40 plays. It's probably closer to 50 plays. Well, and this is the thing. If you look at any author yeah, that's written for many, many years, you see a progression in his style. In other words, you see that, let's say, 20 years later, their works are the same but different than maybe the first works that they did. So Of course. That's, of course. that's normal because people, yeah. you know, they... They just grow, and their you know their writing abilities, or they develop certain styles, and or change others. So I don't see what would be the problem as to saying this is really the same author behind all of these, even though it was written certain years before. Well, that's it. You don't see a problem, but the professors yeah, see a problem, the problem because the Stratford man was maybe you know uh, eighteen or or sixteen or you know see what I mean. So, so he could could not have been him so they have oh, to just the timing on it yeah that 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 so thing called timing yeah yes so that's so see how this hoax is 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 wrongly um interpreting uh, the works are being wrongly interpreted right. consequently yes now so let me ask at what point do you think and I understand, you know, initially it was because they were trying to protect the Oxford family name and then everybody dies. And, you know, of course, what point did somebody decide, how can I say, that their ego, that they that, that it was like, no, we cannot change. Because I want to say there's a lot of ego, it sounds, behind this decision to keep it the way it is. That somebody would say, okay, you know what, it's been 50 years, 60s, whatever. Uh, this is this really the true author of these works was Oxford, not this guy. And who cares now? You know, let's honor the person that really penned. Why was it so closely, I guess, perpetuated? Well, I think because it there was a human being born William Shakespeare, okay. and in that big book of Shakespeare plays published in 1623, there's a mention of Stratford. Okay. And on another page, a mention of Avon. And you put those together, it's Stratford-on-Avon. And also they mention a Stratford monument. Okay. And in Stratford-on-Avon, there's a monument to a Shakespeare. So I think that, you know, very superficially, it, it pointed to Stratford-on-Avon. And it just, it, it perpetuated. Um, but, 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 but you point, you, at the beginning, you made so many good points of things that were much more indicative as like you said, education, uh, you know, lots of things that you would think would be found that didn't exist that some scholar at some point or a professor, like I said, many, many, many years after the fact would say exactly what you were pointing out. You know, let, let's, let's, let's get, come out and let's give uh, credit where credit is due. And right. all, all I can say to, to answer your question is that in 1640, 
Okay. So we're talking um, about us almost 20 years after the Shakespeare play book right. came out, the first folio, somebody wrote and printed, and it was an anonymous person. He okay. wrote, Shakespeare, we must be silent in thy praise. Oh. So this is, this is, you know, a generation after Shakespeare yes. had died. Yes. Why do we have to be silent about him? See, that right off the bat is telling you the secret needed to be kept quiet even that late. And then I think thereafter, I guess, you know, they, people forgot. I, you know, like, I don't. Yeah. Are you going to be the one that's going to take on the, uh, the consensus? The and, uh, yes. Yeah. I don't know, but it's, it's time, you know, now many years have passed. And, well, yeah. But it's like, who? Now it's time to, you know, let it be known. And let's start a whole new renaissance of Shakespeare research. We're yes. all going to know when the plays were written now. Does we're going to know the, what's behind Romeo and Juliet. We're going to know. Yeah. Let me ask, does anybody ever suspect if the, the, the Oxford's family, if they held back any manuscripts that were never published? Oh, well. <laughs> yes, that, that makes you wonder. about the Holy Grail is to find the Shakespeare yes. plays. Because there has not one page has been found, not wow. one page. So that's why I say I don't think we've even been reading the real Shakespeare play. We've, we've been reading the pirated version. Right. Imagine when we can read the originals. Exactly. And, yes, and I think if we start looking in the direction of his family members, mm -hmm. maybe we might be able to find the you know the Shakespeare play manuscripts. Right. You know. And, you know I, I, I have, I've, you know, every once in a while you'll read an article about somebody working in a research department for university will start looking through manuscripts that nobody's looked at for the last, how many years, never. And they stumble yes. across things that are diaries or, you know, written stuff that is jumbled in together with just like household or uninteresting stuff. And it turns out to be uh, actual original writings or works so I'm, I'm thinking well maybe one day that'll happen you know the one of those manuscript yes. scripts got out or sent to uh you know how people would they, they would give their family papers to certain universities and they would end up in museums and yes i, I think they're yes. just put I'm, away uh, i'm hoping for that day i hope you're right it, it also could be in a wall you know yeah. in, a, in a house or a yes. church or who knows where but it seems to me that the great author himself must have hidden them because how can all of them be gone? Yes. I, I, I'm thinking they were hidden. Um, other people think they were destroyed, but uh, I'm hoping that's not the case. Let yeah. me ask something, Catherine. Back then, what the, back then, it, paper was not the paper that we have today. I imagine it had to be thicker. Yes. Would it was, something yeah. like that have withstood, do you think, time? Yes, they they, they say that uh, the manuscripts back then, mm -hmm. which a lot of them were on um, like animal skin, oh, like okay. goat, goat skin or other type of, um, that they'll, out, they'll outlive any paper printed today. Right, right. That's <laughs> where I'm going with this. That, that's they're already 400 years old. They could be another 200 easily. Right. Yes. That people thinking, okay, well, that's probably dust. Not necessarily because back then the quality of the the paper was not what you think of as paper nowadays right right it was more like a type of linen you know yes. so 
Yeah, so it's certainly possible. But the problem is so few few people like me are doing this type of research Mm -hmm. that no one's looking for it. Right. You know? We, that's why, again, why this needs to be accepted. So we'll have thousands of people looking instead of just, you know, a handful. God, that would be, yeah. like you said, that would be the holy grip. Some archivist <laughs> stumbles across this and falls out of their chair like, oh, my God. Yeah. Yes. And then well, I, you know, I think Bill Gates purchased um, a manuscript of Leonardo. It was 20 pages, front what? and back, wow. 20 pages. So, you know, it was, I think he paid 20 million. That was like a million a page. Wow. So uh, finding a Shakespeare play manuscript would, it would be of the same. I imagine, I imagine that something like this would be that, that, and again, you know, it would be, it's not, and I guess it's not far-fetched. It's not probable, but it's not far-fetched because again, um, you know, sometimes also we, we live in what, you know, the paperless environment, but back then, they would keep basically records of, you know, besides the works that things were kept, records were kept of things. Um, yes, absolutely. I mean, we have contracts that have survived from, okay. you're talking 400 years or so. And we, we have manuscripts of people who've survived, diaries, all these things, but the, yet nothing in Shakespeare's handwriting, and he was the most Right, that's what I was about to go <laughs> with. Like, you would think, like you said about, of all, you would think that there would be a, a bunch of uh, examples of that. that yes. And uh, none of that. that. That's a big one. And I tell people right off the bat, there's no letters in Shakespeare's handwriting. People just look at me and they can't what? believe it. Yeah. They can't because, you know, they don't know. No, but but, nowadays, you see some of these collections of people just sending letters. You know, forget even uh, you know a play. They're just sending letters back and forth. And they would keep copies of these letters. Yes. Yes, people you've never heard of. Exactly. Right? They're not famous people. They're just people you... Right, right. And they have these whole trail of letters back and forth about, you know, the goat gave birth and now we have two and... Right. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Uh, We have a diary of Mr. Pudsey. And he, (laughs) in his diary, he, he wrote like little, you know, famous little quotations that he liked. But he also put in there... Um, Shakespeare quotations okay. of his from his favorite plays that has survived, but we don't have a diary of William what Shakespeare. What you would think would be uh, of his personal. I mean, this guy had. You would think he's he was a writing twenty four seven. He had to have a personal yeah. life. Yes, uh, and, and his knowledge. He had. He knew astronomy. He knew. He knew yes. botany. He knew. He knew so many. He knew all the languages, ancient yeah. Greek. He knew everything. You don't think he he wrote notes of some of this. Yes. Yes. Of course he did. And, it, it, yeah. it, and, and let me ask you, have, I, and I'm going to ask you this because sometimes you hear about these, you know, when, when these people back then would do these portraits, because of course there's no photography, how they would work in all these weird symbols into paintings, uh, you know, put the hand like this or something, the little dog is looking that way and that means that. Was there ever any type of portrait done of either Oxford or... Shakespeare or anything that points to some type of hidden meaning? Yes. That's a wonderful question. They call it the Ashbourne portrait. Okay. Ash- you, anybody can Google it and you can see it. Okay. Um, it, is, it, it, is, it was long known as a portrait of Shakespeare. Okay. But the, since then, uh, the Folger Shakespeare Library, which owns it, they have taken off that, that title. 
Really? Um, we think it's the Earl of Oxford. It looks very much like him. And in it, this, you have this nobleman uh -huh. who has um, one hand on a skull, and in the other hand, he's holding a book. And a lot of us think the book is the Shakespeare sonnets. And the skull... For the ones going above and beyond. For the ones reaching out, helping out, and lending a hand. For the ones people count on. You can count on Granger. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, backed by 24-7 customer support and specialists to help with hard-to-find products. Because you've got everyone's back, we've got yours. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row. Proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network. Verizon. Best and most reliable based on root metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined. Not specific to 5G networks. Could be a reference to Hamlet. Possibly. And I think I've seen this portrait. Is he dressed like in red? Yes. Yes, I've seen yes. that. I've seen that. Yes. And it, yeah, it's it, a very it's, striking portrait. Yeah, it's called the Ashbourne portrait. In fact, it was it was actually uh, painted over to try and resemble the, what we think of as Shakespeare, those those images of Shakespeare. And uh, the funny thing is, they they won't take the overpainting off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, because I know that they have found sometimes paintings behind paintings. Yes. Well, they, they you know, if you look at this painting, mm -hmm. her, the, the sitter's head is a very high forehead, like okay. the engraving Shakespeare that we know. Right. But they know by x-rays, they've taken x-rays and they know that it's been overpainted and yet they won't take off that paint. But they've taken you know? it, but they've removed it though as, who, uh, how, I, I guess, how was it ever identified at some point as being Shakespeare? Was well, it the because, painter? No, no. It was uh, in the 1800s. Somebody actually saw this picture. They probably saw the skull and these, this book that he's holding mm -hmm. with a jewel on it. Right. They probably thought, well, I can pass this off as a Shakespeare. And so he oh. tried to change you know, the hair and the okay. the rough and things like that to make it look like possibly the Stratford man, you know? Yes. <laughs> and, um, and so then he, he pawned it off as a painting of Shakespeare, or eventually it did. Right. So, yeah. Especially it, when there was no other portraits to, you know, conflict with his version of it. Well, in the 1800s, there were several of these portraits coming out because everyone was trying to, you know, find a, a portrait of Shakespeare, a real portrait. But I mean, Shakespeare originally, so originally there wasn't, you know, as far as, was there ever a portrait done during his lifetime or shortly thereafter of the Stratford man or nothing? No, not, not in his lifetime, no, no. So they're desperate, they're desperate yes. for a biography, they're desperate for an image, you know, they don't have any lifetime information. Right. And, uh, you know, and that's what started these kind of hoaxes in the 1800s. And even they tried to, um, you know, hoax his uh, writings, you know, like manuscripts. Exactly. 
Yeah, there were there was many forgeries. And so. it's, it's it, and that's a very good question that you did. Why wouldn't you allow this painting to be like with a lot of expertise? Let's look at what was really originally painted on this canvas. Yeah, well, they I mean, to their credit, uh, the Folger the Shakespeare Library, they, they did examinations on the painting with, you know, x-rays and things like that. But I don't know why they haven't restored the picture, you know, to right. showing him with his real hair and with his real rough, or maybe maybe it would damage the picture. That's possible too. I mean, I don't know personally. Yeah, but. I mean, but you, and it's, well, and, 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 and I understand, because, but nowadays it can be really, really good. I mean, I know that one time when, um, you know, this was a while back when they didn't understand what damage could be caused. They would use chemicals to clean paintings that really damaged them. But nowadays they could probably do it very carefully mm -hmm. and not damage as far as, what is really there um and again I, I i don't know catherine i always find that when there's so much resistance to the preponderance of evidence <laughs> is that there's egos involved yeah, well that 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 could be it that could be it. you know but... because it's like well how do we go now and say that for the last 400 or 500 years we've been saying it's this guy and it wasn't him <laughs> Right, it, it shows that you are ignorant or something. Right, something's right. Wrong. Something's wrong here. But I mean, truly, if these people truly love Shakespeare, yes. they're gonna tr want to know who he really was. Right, exactly, exactly. Where it's like the works are gonna remain the same, but why wouldn't you want to give credit to the real author? Uh, right. It doesn't also, take away from it. You can understand the plays better when you yes. have a biography to back them up, especially Hamlet, for example. Hamlet is, all, all the professors will tell you, is probably the most autobiographical play. And yet, if you look at the profile of Hamlet, he was a prince, he was a university student, he was a traveler, he was, you know, he committed murder. All these things have nothing to do with the Stratford man, but they have everything to do with the Earl of Oxford. Right. In other words, their, their lives, experience-wise, they paralleled each other. Very much so, yeah. And um, even even to the point where um, Hamlet, his ship was attacked by pirates and he almost died. Well, the same thing happened to the Earl of Oxford after he came yes. back from Europe. He was crossing the channel and his ship got attacked by pirates. All his possessions were stolen and he was just down to his underwear, I think. They took everything. So it was the same thing. So right. and yet here's the perfect parallel. So it's either... The great author knew the Earl of Oxford, or he was the Earl. And of you know Oxford. what? And and what's really funny is anybody who's ever done writing, you know, and we're talking here fiction, will knows that authors use their own life experiences, of course, as part of, course. of their, you know, to incorporate it into their stories. They they because it's it's more credible. It sounds more. Uh, it, it engages the reader more. So I think. Yes. Every, you know, even even people that are writing uh, sci-fi or fantasy, they still inject their own personal experiences into the storyline. Yes, of course. So um, and, but if you want to do it for the Strapper Man, you're out of luck. Because nah, like, no, that's like, okay. <laughs> I mean, the Strapper Man, he was um, he was accused of hoarding grain. OK, uh, he was a. Uh, probably committed bribery for getting his coat of arms. Um, he was on a, 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 a 
I think like a, a, a not a petition, but I, I can't think of the word where he had he his name and the two others were put on a list to I can't even remember what it was I, where uh, you can't go near somebody like that like an injunction kind of like, like a... an injunction. yeah an injunction okay. and um so we so have this that. guy was uh he was a yeah, bully down and dirty guy money lender. these are these are the known facts that, that yeah that does not jive but, at all where, 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 where is that wonderful soaring individual with yes. august high language you know yeah. and the, the same man who says he who steals my purse steals trash, you know? Yes. Where's, where's this? <laughs> it doesn't right. fit the Stratford man. Yeah, this, 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 you know, you're, you, the Stratford man looks like, or sounds like the guy on the street, you know, the hustler. And I don't mean that in a yes. bad way, but right. he was making a living. How's that? He was making, making a living, living. on I the streets and he was doing what he needed to do. And of course, he wasn't thinking of, well, history will look at this and go, you know, he was, he was living his life and he just somehow, I almost want to say, fell into this identity. Yes. yes. In fact, um, it, it wasn't his fault. I mean, people, after he died, the works were attributed to him. So it's, it's not his fault or his family's fault. He was just trying to make a living. Right. I'm not, I'm not blaming him at all. Um, and he was trying to improve his station by having a coat of arms so he could be called a gentleman. Right. You know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But exactly. he was not the author, and he didn't claim to be the author. And his his children, his two daughters, and his granddaughter, they never said he was the great author. Never. So you would think that they would absolutely because people don't realize that back then. You, what you gave your family, your name was very important. Like, like what you were pointing out that if he could have gotten uh, a, a coat of arms and he was considered a gentleman, this would have benefited his family or his descendants. Uh, yes. And you would think that they would, of course, claim lineage from the great Shakespeare, you know, the author of all these works, because right. this would have elevated their station as far as, uh, because that, those things mattered. Reputation, family yes. ties—they're uh, the so and sos, and we we don't get it now. But back then, that that mattered even a little bit. Right. Well, as far as we know, no one went to Stratford on Avon after the Stratford man died. No one went there to talk to his daughters and interview them and say, "Oh, or do you have any papers that we right. can, you know, let's say, get an autograph for?" Or um, you know, or even the granddaughter. His granddaughter right. lived till I think sixteen seventy. Okay. So, and already there had been three editions of the first folio of, you know, the big book of Shakespeare plays. I mean, he was a legend at that point. Right. You would, would think that there would be somebody yeah. out there, and I'm going to go down the road of not even scholarship. I'm thinking of making money that would have run down there to the family house and say, hey, you got anything back to that he wrote that we don't know about? <laughs> Hand exactly. it over. He will pay right. you for it. Right. There's no, there's no relics of Shakespeare, the great author. Um, if you look at his will, he doesn't mention any theater props or musical props or manuscripts or theater shares. Nothing. Nothing would. You can't look at that and say this is a theater man. So, but 
Yeah, in, in other words, this was, uh, it almost sounds like somebody who was, like you said, just it, the theater for him was strictly like about making money and the money end of it. Yes, yes. There was, however, um, a bequest of a few shillings uh, to a couple actors back then. So well, they were his associates. Right, but right. I was going to say that, though, they that, had... the uh... thing that would make you think, okay, he had some association with the theater, but not that he was a writer, because nothing in there indicates he was a writer. There's no books, even. So no let books. me ask you something. All these movies, Shakespeare in Love, Shakespeare, this, this is all totally, totally made up, <laughs> sounds like. It's totally made up. Because yeah. you, it makes it look at these movies like he, he's running around composing sonnets, you know? <laughs> Right. Well, um, I, I'm sorry to say that many bio Shakespeare biographies are filled with some fiction, some of it, okay. uh, because they they can't, you know, account. They don't have any lifetime experiences of the Strapper Man that would, you know, show parallels. Okay. So, you know, they they just do the best they can with what little they have, and then the rest they make up. And sometimes they don't even tell you that you know we're 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 supposing that this happened. They sometimes they just say that's that was the case, which is not good. <laughs> right, right, right. So I mean, I, I believe, and I and I'm not I'm not sure about this. That even to compose the sonnets, that was in other words, you had to have a certain talent. It wasn't just the writing of a story. If you were going to compose a sonnet, you had to have some type of talent in that area, and scholarship yes. to do that. Yes. Yes. So. It's all, it's all a big zero. In fact, um, a great quote by Mark Twain. Mm -hmm. And Mark Twain, by the way, was a pen name, right? Yes, uh, yes. Samuel Clemens was his real one. <laughs> so yeah. everybody's a lot. A lot of people go, huh? It's like, yeah, that's what that yeah. his real name. Clemens. In fact, um, our conference this year, our, the Shakespeare Oxford Fellowship Conference, is in Hartford, Connecticut, uh, mm -hmm. the Mark Twain House. Oh, wow. Yeah, so if, if people are interested, they should go to our conference. But anyway, Mark Twain said uh, that the Stratford man's case is like a reconstructed brontosaur, nine bones and 600 barrels of plastic yeah. of Paris. Yeah. So is... nine bones. That's right, exactly. And, 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 and if you understand that for what it is, is like the majority of this is fiction. Just, you know, yeah. plastered around the nine bones that are the truth and the right. rest of it is like. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, you know, he wrote a book in 1909 called Is Shakespeare Dead? Because he was totally convinced it was not the Stratford Man. He did? Oh, he did? I never knew that. I yeah, knew yeah. That. Yeah. It's called Is Shakespeare Dead? And he mentions this quote and and also he he was convinced because there were so many law terms legal terms right in the shakespeare works that were totally accurate and even even in hamlet there's a reference to a certain law case right <laughs> you know, so and he's saying how could you how could the strafford man have gotten that knowledge because you had to go to a certain law school back then you know Exactly. And, and, and people don't understand. It's forget the even Google, you know, having books, you know, wasn't like everybody had a library. It wasn't like, oh, I'll look up this reference material and right. look it up. That didn't exist back then there for no somebody. Public libraries. Yes. yes. No public libraries. No Internet. No. Oh, absolutely. So, so how could he how did he get all this information? Yeah. 
I think that is fascinating, and I'm hoping that at some point they'll, the, you know, the it'll be like it doesn't diminish the work at all. On the contrary, uh, and that they'll come clean and say, okay, well, this is we'll start from this date, you know, calling it the author by. I mean, you can even think of it, you know, Shakespeare being his pen name. It doesn't take away from, um, from the identity, I guess is what I'm saying. Right. No, I think it's, I think it's only going to enhance everybody's understanding of the works. I mean, they're already a little hard to read because it's older style yes. language. Yes. Um, but also, well, when you can see the life parallels, you know, uh, mm. it makes it more enjoyable. Yeah. Know? Absolutely. And, and it was everything. People don't realize. He, I mean, it was the comedies, it was the tragedies. And I mean, this was a well-rounded individual who produced yes. this. And um, yeah, it's like uh, people, yeah, even that Romeo and Juliet, I think so many stories. And then later on, entertainment has been done around that, uh, you know, those characters or that setting kind of thing. You know, the uh, star-crossed yeah. lover thing. Right, so many, and and yet this is a was a a, a story that I believe came out of Italy, mm -hmm. I think in the fourteenth century, and Shakespeare was the first one to dramatize it. Yeah, yes. So yeah. I mean, there's a there's so many firsts. Right, uh, right. People don't realize that that he was accurate. That 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 there was, you know, families that you know were enemies. That it was, and that you know that they had to forbid uh, basically killing each other that this was this was actually the way it was at that time in Italy and of course you know you didn't marry you know that that cross star cross thing that that was pretty accurate there as far as you unless you were planning to uh, run off but uh, well you know the true moral behind the the story the initial story was that if you disobey your parents right as far as, um, who you marry basically um, you know, this is the result, you know, of, you know, like death. But Shakespeare presented them with sympathy and understanding. Right. So he kind of did a different play on it, on the story. Right, like a cautionary yeah. tale, like uh, yeah. uh, you're, you're, sooner or later, it's like a cursed romance. It's going to go wrong. Yes, yes. So I think that was hope. Yeah. I, 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 I think this is super interesting. Uh, Catherine, uh, I'm going to have a link to your website on the credits of the show, but if you could give out your website for my podcast listeners. Certainly. It's shakespearesuppressed.com. Mm -hmm. It's Let also me, on Amazon, too. On Amazon. Are, do you, are you working on any new material, any new book? Um, I'm working on three different ones at the moment. Oh, <laughs> but I do yeah. have a day job, so uh, it, it's a little bit slow going. Yes. Uh, Shakespeare Suppressed took me um, almost seven years to do. I believe so, it. That sounds, uh, I imagine the amount of research is involved is extensive. Yes, yes. I have, I have over 600 footnotes, too. I mean, it's a history book, really. But um, I try to make it readable. And also to show you what the problems are with Shakespeare. And right, that if you were going to present this, let's, and I'm going to use a court, like a, you know, like a, evidence in other words don't yes like, like what you were saying at the beginning when you had when you were listening to that debate which really yes. didn't sound like a debate because the other person was just saying uh ah, you're wrong you know all this you know smoke and mirror kind of stuff but there was really no debate 
as right. in, okay, I'm going to give you my point as to why you're wrong because of this fact, whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I thoroughly examine this traffic man's case and show how meager it is. And then I, I go into how the hoax happened and that I go into the first folio, which is to me with the source of the hoax. And I also talk about little-known poems um, that Shakespeare wrote people don't know about, they don't usually study in mm -hmm. a Shakespeare class, and, and the other problems associated with, like, the printing of the works and how many were pirated. So all of these things people don't know about, and so I'm just trying to get it out there. Um, and, people, and people think that the problems with intellectual property is a modern-day thing. Ah, yeah. I mean, uh, just think about it. If you wrote Romeo and Juliet, wouldn't you want to get the credit for it? Oh, you know? sure, yes. Or Hamlet, yes. wouldn't you want to be credited for that? Yes, But, yes. you know, right, we're denying the true man the credit of many, many plays and poems. Absolutely, absolutely, and it's a shame. But, like I said, hopefully uh, there'll come a time when, when English, you know, grammar, English programs and everything will come around. And But I imagine it has to come up from uh, the the. I guess the decision makers, for lack of a better word, the scholars, yes. uh, and then they'll trickle down into academia and so on. I and hope so. Forth. so. It's, it seems to me they've been holding it back. Oh, of um, of like for example, um, a, a great website for people to try is uh, doubtaboutwill.org. Doubtaboutwill, interesting. Yes, and there's a, a dec it's called the Declaration of Reasonable Doubt. You can read it and you can mm. sign it. Oh, but anyway, okay. this, this same organization, and there's many people, famous people on it, by the way, who have signed it. But okay. um, this organization offered 40,000 pounds to the Shakespeare Birthplace Trust in England um, to, to appear in a debate to prove their case that the Stratford Man was the great author. You know, I don't know exactly what the terms were. But okay. anyway, they, they never replied. I mean, they didn't. They didn't bite. They Nobody's didn't taken them up on the offer? No. You know, and they're a registered charity. So in a way, they're sort of obligated, you know. Yes. <laughs> you would they, think that, 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 that there would be people falling over themselves to prove the, yeah. the case. I mean, for them, it's supposed to be a piece of cake, right? They're mass? Yes. Yes, yes absolutely. They don't want to do it, so... Yeah, that's what you do. Well, Catherine, thank you so much for spending this time. It's thank been you. absolutely fascinating, and I want to wish you the best of luck on all your projects coming up. Thank you kindly, and I, I'm so grateful for this interview. No, on the contrary, it was my pleasure. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Wow, what an interesting lady. Let me tell you, I like hearing, you know, it, Sometimes when people get impassioned about certain things, you know, you think, well, it's a big buildup, but sometimes passion, passionate pursuits start out from really uh, happenstance stuff, like, like she did. She hears this debate, like, I don't know anything about Shakespeare. In other words, I don't care one way or the other. She probably knew about Shakespeare, what everybody else is taught in school. You know, he's this person and this is his major works. And, you know, you know, a lot of people I know that when they had to do some type of Shakespeare, they groaned because of course, because of the way it's right, written it and you, you know, understanding the, the way, it, 
Or if you were into drama, if somebody ever decided to do the play, you had to learn lines that'd be like, okay, I gotta rememorize this. This is like, you know, your eyes are like this and you're, you know, well, but that's the way people talk back then. <laughs> Very flowery, but anyway, and, she, and it developed. It, 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 there was something that she recognized at that moment that, I guess, for lack of a better word, spoke to her soul. Um, and you know, it's, and it's also one of these things that probably along the way when she started doing this research, something, I mean, let's say beyond the initial debate that she overheard, uh, that, that where one presented substantial reference as to why he had this belief versus the other person was just like, forget that. She must have come across compelling information that said, you know what, this guy is absolutely right. What he claimed as far as uh, Shakespeare being Shakespeare, like, is is not really who this was. And then it's like, again, and then I think it's one of those things that that's how it gets its hook in you. Because I've done research, of course, never along these lines or to this depth or about. But it's something that the more you research it, the more you come across, the more it pulls you in. Um... And, and think about it. Um, Shakespeare's recognition is can't be understated. It, or, I mean, overstated. It's he's the bard. He's the you know um, so many plays, productions, references are made to him. This guy next to me. I've said that one. No, that way. <laughs> right there. Okay, with. Uh, the receding hairline um, that he's universally known. You show a picture of Shakespeare and everybody, even even the person that does not take English will say, oh yeah, it's Shakespeare. Okay, that's that's 500 years after he uh, he lived and wrote these works. I mean, I, when I was saying that thing about um, the movie that came out in the 90s, Titanic, Titanic was... A revamped version of Romeo and Juliet kind of you know star-crossed lovers uh, you know what stands between their love of course is not that they're from we did it again Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by root metrics for the 16th time in a row proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks that's why we're building 5g right that's why there's only one Best Network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on root metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. Own the road with T-Mobile, the leader in 5G. Whether you're cruising through Nashville on I-40, heading down I-90 to Boston, or touring Santa Cruz in the five, you'll be covered by the largest 5G network. T-Mobile covers the most interstate highway miles in America with 5G. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Most reliable according to independent third-party Umlaut from crowdsourced user experience data from January to July 2021. Fastest according to Open Signal Awards based on average speeds in USA. 5G user experience report July 2021. Uh, opposing families in Italy, but their stations of life. She's very rich. Uh, she's engaged to a guy with a lot of money and she's going to save her family from destitution and he's a poor guy who basically won the tickets on the Titanic on a card game 
Yeah, but the 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 the, the thought of that forbidden love being the true love that you get they owe that to Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, you know, and, and um it, it, and it's the kind of how can I say it? The kind of passion that only the youthful experience. And as and I'll say it, it's, it doesn't work with when you're older because it's like, okay, all you're gonna do is show me how to spit. <laughs> but anyway, and let's 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 look at it also because I've mentioned this before in other shows. This, if you think that this is this this piece of history, which is the authorship of somebody like Shakespeare, if this is if you think that this is the only historical fact that has been tweaked or suppressed, mm, I don't think so. And I mean, I want to say part of it was facilitated because the true author happened to be uh, his station in life as a nobleman during these time periods. It was frowned upon that he could not only engage and you know get involved with the theater this was this, this was considered low life stuff you know if you were a nobleman yeah you could write something and present it to the queen but to keep producing it and go to the theater and all that that was like mm, no, you don't do that you know maybe one day you could slum down and go to the theater and check out a play but that was it so in other words that kind of because of uh, his station in life was basically his his undoing as far as being unable to claim authorship, claim this is my work and this one and this one and this one and the recognition and because it just didn't jive with who he was. And, and, and like I mentioned back then, you, your family or your family name meant everything. And in other words, uh, as you know, that we we don't may, may not may not understand it. It was your name. Your in other words, you owed it to your family and your family name and your ancestors and your descendants that you keep this name intact, which meant the reputation. And um, I mean, there was a whole lot of things involved. But let's getting back to what I was saying. If you think that something as, for lack of a better word, as innocent as the the identity, the real identity of Shakespeare, if this is the only thing that's ever been, uh, let's 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 change it. I think that's been done. Like they said, you know, to the victor go the spoils. No, to the victor go the one who writes history. Uh, because what happens is. If you start saying something and repeating it and having society uh, or it's being taught, this is the way, this is the version, this is the version, guess what? Eventually, even whether it's partially based on the truth or totally mm, truth in it, have no, nothing in common, it gets accepted as the truth. Like I said, because what happens is people that were alive die. There's nobody there to contest it and say, "Hey, that was that's not that's not either the way it happened or not accurate or those people die off. It gets repeated. And if you are 
the person in the government, whatever the government is, it could be a monarchy, uh, it could be the religious leaders, depending on what time period. And you're the ones that say, this is the version I want put out. And that's the version that's going to, and if you don't, guess what? Something was going to happen to you. So guess what? If you were a scholar, uh, uh, whatever, whatever it is that I was involved in, you know, if, when scribes to say before printing the scribes that they would take down the history but it's like oh they this the version yeah sure that was it and you just and before you know it it gets believed to be that way and then maybe every once in a while you would get a version maybe a historian puts out another version or Somebody says, you know what, what is being claimed that doesn't jive with these other facts that we know of this time period or what other uh, characters were doing. There's something here that the timing is off. Somebody here is not saying the truth. Again, there has to be interest in it. There has to be somebody that comes across a version that contests the one that's being put out. But tasting history is a lot of history, especially now, is not real history and by this I mean depending on what you're looking for um, I would be very wary like like when I said Google it when I mean Google it I mean any type of research I'm just using that because that's that's how what everybody uses but whatever type of research source you go to you really 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 need to check because a lot of these sources basically are copying the first in other words you might thinking you're looking at different sources and basically you're just looking at repetition of the first one the reason why is depends, like how accurate is this? How truthful is it? And I'm tempted to say a lot of historical uh, facts are not facts; they're more like fiction. And, but again, this type of research to proving otherwise is very, very time-consuming. And when you go up against a, you know, a bulwark of scholars and academia that for years, depending on how far back we're going, have proposed and, and maybe they believed it themselves. I'm not saying that they were the ones that originated the, the, the altered version of it, but they've like, some of them sometimes have done uh, papers uh, they have theses, uh, doctorates based on certain aspects, and they basically have thrown everything in there. People's ego don't take kindly to having to say, that's wrong. Or, <laughs> the worst I think, which is, you know what, when I was researching this for my whatever, I kind of thought something was off, but I ran with it and I just put out the version that was out there. Because it was expedient. Because I wasn't about to go up against the 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 the, 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 the scholars. Because let me tell you something: scholars and high, you know, PhDs and all these people up there, especially as you get older, and maybe in some cases if you're in a university and you've got tenure, and these people do they gap egos. They do not like to mean you know like here I am at the end of my extensive, reputable career to be told, hey what you've been teaching, what you believe, what you've said, this is the way it was. That's not really real. And by the way, 
you should have known better. Because sometimes you can't. Sometimes, to be perfectly honest, the people that believe that, there is no way for them to know. But I'll tell you what, once you become an expert in a field, whether it's a part of history, a certain figure, um, and you're immersed in this, and you're networking with other people in the field that either are knowledgeable about this or in things that surround it, things trickle to you that, if you're being really honest, will raise questions in you. Or not, it might confirm what you already know. How many of these guys or people, or I'm not going to say guys, because women as well, you know, this is like a guys as in unisexually, uh, don't want to change what they've been maybe expounding for 30, 20, 40 years and do an about face and say, you know, what's out there, that version, it's wrong. No, that's not. Case in point, what she said about that portrait that now they don't recognize it anymore as being Shakespeare as in the Stratford man, but they don't give permission for them to actually look at what was the who was the original figure before it was altered okay in other words if there was you know how people photoshop stuff and there was a way to you know click the back button yeah let me see what you what was your original picture before you photoshopped it and somebody said no 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 you can't do that what would you be your first reaction be like okay you're hiding something why wouldn't you and the only reason why people, in my experience, the only reason why people behind institutions, behind university departments will do that, it comes down to ego, 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 ego. Ego and then, of course, money. Um, God, you know, a lot of people, you, know you know how many people... Um, go to the UK or even where Shakespeare was born and I mean there's a whole tourist thing attached to that has been attached to that uh, <laughs> boy that would be offended well no I'd probably get more attention like yeah this was the guy everybody thought wrote the others but no he was he was this guy who was really out there hustling in the theater world of Elizabethan England and let me tell you something that'd be interesting that's that in and of itself would be a very interesting character, uh, because the truth is he didn't steal the works, he didn't um, have this nobleman write these stories and he just like, ha, I'm gonna take these manuscripts and I'm gonna put my name on it. No, and somehow or other he, right place, right time, uh, and probably this guy Oxford, the Earl of Oxford, was well. Either I publish them under a pseudonym and will attach it to this guy, whatever, or I can't publish them at all. All my works, all these things that I have in my mind, all these, and, 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 and any artist, whether they're a writer or, or a painter or anybody that produces that has creativity, let me tell you something. You know, they say, you know, how do you know if something is a passion versus a hobby? It's like if, if you could never claim ownership of this or nobody would know that it was your work would you still do it and if you can say yes then that is a true passion but let's face it we're all human beings and 
let's say you're going to write a story or plays or sonnets or whatever. It's got to burn inside of you that you would want to share it. You would want others to see it, uh, experience it. And it sounds like this guy, Oxford, it was either write these manuscripts, which your family's frowning on that you're doing and put them, you know, put them away. All right. Or you publicize them and hear about how well they're received and what kind of accolades. They don't come directly to you, but at least you know, that's my work. And you use this front guy, this front man to, to basically be the guy that wrote it, even though, and that must have been a real stickler. Can you imagine that here you are, you're this scholar, you're this guy who's well-rounded, like he said in all these, I mean, it goes beyond being literate. Uh, and you have to give credit to this guy who's barely literate or that must have been a real, that, that must have been hard to, to swallow. But again, what were your choices? That or anonymity as in anonymity, like your works will never be known. You will never, because let's face it, as, as much as we all fear rejection, if, if you're producing something, all of us want to know, am I going to get, are people going to like it? Are they going to be fascinated by these stories like they were? Or they're going to go, uh, yeah. yeah, nobody wants that, but everybody's willing to risk it because, you know, you put together these works and you think they're wonderful and they're great. And, and of course, let's say he starts producing, you know, like she was explaining, you know, some of his first works were probably brought or produced for the queen. And of course... You're a nobleman, so, you know, maybe at the beginning it was, oh, God, that's, uh, that's very nice, you know. This beautiful play for the queen, she enjoyed it, the entertainment. And the truth is, he's thinking, man, I could do this all the time, full time. And I think it would kill me if I didn't do this. But I cannot claim ownership on it or walk away from it. You know, so even nobility had their problems. <laughs> Let me tell you, this is, you know, for those people who, you know, like I was mentioning, you know, back then, you know, of course, the, the, the society was very stratified. Um, you know, every class had to conduct itself according to the norms of society. And yes, if you were rich and you had a family like that, you were an earl yeah you probably didn't have to worry about money and you never had to worry am i gonna have food on the table but the flip side of it is that you were very regimented also in what you could do you couldn't do stuff like this and if you weren't the artistic type who cares right but it could really uh you were expected to marry certain person okay he or she's ugly doesn't matter uh I, they're really obnoxious. I don't love them. Doesn't matter. Hey, this will be a great match. And it will perpetuate both of your families. So love and all those things were like, what's that, what's that term? You'll grow fond of each other. Hopefully, you know, and of course, this, is, this was, people don't realize, even as a nobleman, you were expected 
to follow the rules. You were expected to marry a certain person within a certain class and produce children, and of course, males, because back then, you know, titles and lands would go to the eldest son. Uh, and the reason why they did this, also people don't realize that even if you had more than one son was that, that you couldn't divvy up, let's say, let's say you had a house with X amount of land and this was your castle or whatever. You couldn't divvy that land up amongst your sons. So that's why you had your eldest was your heir and he would get everything. And sometimes second and third sons, if there were some, maybe they would get some stuff, you know, as in minor stuff. But as far as titles, and the only way these second or third sons would get it is if their older brother passed away without any heir for them to pass it on. Because otherwise it would just be the uncle of the earl or the duke or whatever. So, I mean, there were certain guidelines as far as the way you lived your life. That being a common person was like, man, this is great. <laughs> I don't have to worry about. Nobody really cares, you know, if I marry Sarah or Mary. Uh, you know, even though, and even then among the merchant classes and everything that there was, you know, you were expected like, certain, there were certain expectations. Everything had its positives and its negatives, unless you were, you know, you were a serf and then you're really screwed uh, because you were at the bottom of the food chain. But again, um, it, it, it to me, when um, I was looking at this, it... As a matter of fact, there's a movie, coincidentally, I had never heard about it. And, and right when I was contacting Catherine about coming on the show, I saw the movie. It's called Anonymous. I want to say it came out like in 2014. It's not that old. And it deals exactly, I mean, it's kind of dramatized a lot here and there, even though they kind of, a lot of it is pretty accurate. And it talks, it, 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 it absolutely, uh, the, 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 the main theme of the movie is exactly this. The Earl of Oxford being the true author of Shakespeare's works, that he was truly Shakespeare. And of course, all the dynamics of his family, uh, the political stuff that was going on in England at that time. That, believe it or not, just like now, entertainment sometimes when they reach the lower classes, you had to be very... You know, you know how sometimes plays they they they're very satirical and they kind of poke fun at at the government or the monarchy. You had to be real careful with that because these plays were very very popular, and the monarchy was always looking at it and is this giving out the right message? Do we want the people to like he's like what Catherine was pointing out. You know, the, the, the Henry V was produced at a time when they needed to raise the, the basically the nationalism amongst the people, like to be proud to defend England. And people don't realize that back then, it wasn't only conquest of uh, another country. It was that there was a big, big problem between Protestantism and Catholicism. Remember, uh, Elizabeth's dad, Henry VIII, Okay, he basically booted the Catholic Church as the religion of England, and he became the head. And, you know, of course, Protestantism 
but there was always uh, this fear or this in the back uh, between what well they called Catholics papists and there was there was very deep-seated people people got burned at the stake for being on the wrong side of the religion that was being recognized by the monarchy at that time that's how serious it was so I mean there was in other words just you know oh now in modern times we think of what's being fed to the masses back then there was a version of it and this was a form of entertainment these plays that people would go to see and sometimes there was messages disguised as in a tragedy or a comedy and so they were being looked at closely which of course is also part of why uh how would it have looked in other words um if the author would have been somebody a nobleman way 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 up because his his father-in-law uh lord lord burley was a minister to the queen he was this is this is this is as high up as you go in basically ruling a country as far as power goes how would it have looked if somebody that high up was writing these plays and tongue-in-cheek maybe making fun of certain things or kind of like angling it. it in other words it would have it would have been like if lord so-and-so what does that mean versus some guy that was a part owner of a theater that, yeah. in other words he was part of you know it could be taken strictly as he wouldn't know any better he can influence decision makers he can influence who is in power and that's another thing remember uh, Queen Elizabeth never married she had no child uh, there was always a big debate as to who was gonna sit on the throne of England after she died again not only was it only the power it was the issue of religion uh, I mean there was a lot of behind-the-scenes things that you would think wow I didn't know there was this much drama and intrigue behind Shakespeare's and it was I mean it just it's like a, a domino effect and you know sometimes we look at our stuff that's going on modern times with governments and uh, even now with like uh, you know the internet and uh, all this tech stuff and there's always been some version of it and, and, and believe it or not especially as in how it affects the masses and when I mean masses, it could be masses worldwide or in a country. Because, of course, by extension, let's say now the reach with the Internet or a lot of other things. You know, it doesn't have to be just Internet, you know, publications, whatever. Versus back then, let's say, here these playhouses were in London, which is where the movers and shakers were for the rest of England. And every, everybody... Let's see, the abbreviated version of what I'm trying to say is the people have the power. Contrary to what we think sometimes as far as heads of state or government or whoever the head of the government is, or you know, you always think of them as having the power. In reality, it's the people that have the power. Because if we didn't have power, nobody would worry what we listened to, what we heard what we thought what conclusions we came to it wouldn't matter be like okay all right whatever be on your way ha entertain yourselves okay children that's why 
five hundred years later, we're we're having another version of, uh, you know, okay, well, oh, like let those plays go out, but make sure that it nobody ever knows that it's a very well high placed nobleman who's the author of some of these things because some of the stuff there they're like portraying real life stuff and mm, we, we can't have that oh and by the way while you're at it uh i need you to uh write 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 this play uh making everybody proud of who they are because we need to go to war <laughs> sound familiar <laughs> so anyway guys i hope you like uh, the show with Catherine. I have a lot of really interesting guests coming up. And uh, I know you, again, uh, I want to thank you so very, very much for being part of my audience. I totally enjoy it. And thank you for coming back every week and sharing this time with me. Take care. With MailChimp, you get more than a URL. You get an all-in-one marketing platform to help drive sales with things like data-driven recommendations and powerful automation tools. Get started today at MailChimp.com slash smartmarketing. MailChimp, built for growing businesses. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network Verizon. Best and most reliable based on root metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined. Not specific to 5G networks.